We began a series several weeks ago, actually Sarah began the series, that we're calling Thanks A Lot. There you go. Thanks A Lot. Sarah began this series with a message she called The Art of a Thankful Heart. And if you didn't hear that, I recommend you get that. Chew on some of those things because there's good information there, things that will change your life. And we continued on with that over the last couple of weeks, taking this whole month of November I know Thanksgiving is just one day in this month, but uh, we, of all people, should not relegate our gratitude, our thankfulness to one day of the year, but it should be something that's coming out of us all the time. We are to be the most thankful people on the planet. I mean, who has more to be thankful for than we do? We've got Jesus. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. We have got the word of God as a firm foundation beneath our feet. Heaven is our home in eternity. We have been saved, healed, delivered, set free. The promise of provision and protection and every good thing you could need or want. It is yours in Christ Jesus and all the blessings of God in him are yes. And in him, they are amen. Who's got more to be thankful for than you do? Huh? That means gratitude should be coming up out of our hearts, out of our mouths, not one day a year, not just one month a year, but all the time, all day, every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We should be giving thanks a lot. And we see that here in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So open your Bibles again with me, please. To 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 16, the scripture says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will? That you rejoice. Say it. Always. Come on, say it. Always. That you pray without ceasing, that in everything you give thanks. Now, sadly, if you were to look at the way most people, and I say most Christian people, if you look at the way they're living their lives, you would think this verse says, rejoice when you feel like it. You would think this verse says that we should be uh, praying when you've got a minute. But is that what it says? Rejoice when you feel like it. Pray when you've got a minute. Give thanks when everything's going good, when everything's looking good, when it looks like you've got something to give thanks for. This is the way many people are living their lives. But the scripture doesn't say rejoice when you feel like it. He says rejoice always, which means you rejoice, especially when you don't feel like it. Pray when you've got a minute. No, pray without ceasing. And like we've talked about already, that's that's accomplished in our lives when we are listening all the time. Talking to God, yes, that's a big part of prayer, but there's this whole listening side of prayer that many people are neglecting. They think prayer is them talking yeah, for a minute, <laughs> but then the rest of your time and my time should be spent listening, listening all throughout the day. When you're in situations with people, you're listening to them, but you're also listening on the inside. Check in your heart. Lord, what would you say in response? How would you have me handle this? What direction do you want me to go? And this is how we pray without ceasing. And then, of course, he says, in everything, give thanks. 
And that's giving thanks when it looks like there's something to give thanks for. That's giving thanks when you are searching hard for something to give thanks for. But I'm telling you, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it feels as a believer, you've always got something to be thankful for. You can always find something to be glad about. So it's not just giving thanks when it looks good. It's in everything, give thanks. Now, what we've established over the last several weeks, and honestly, this has kind of come as a surprise to me. Um, I knew some of these things, but I didn't know the Spirit of God was going to have us emphasize it the way He has. But we are discovering that you and I create atmosphere. We cultivate the culture around us, whether you're talking about in a church like this or in your own home. You create the atmosphere not with what you do on occasion. You create an atmosphere around you, but it's not by doing things every now and again, every once in a while. No, you create the atmosphere around you with what you do all the time. And there are things that you do, whether you realize you're doing it or not, you're doing them all the time, day in, day out. And it is those things that are creating the atmosphere in your home. The Lord gave, gave us the mandate Several years ago, in starting this church, he said, I want you to create an atmosphere full of faith and full of, who remembers? Love. An atmosphere of faith and love. Well, we don't create an atmosphere of faith and love because we said something about faith once three years ago. We don't create an atmosphere of love because I said, hey, love you, brother, on my way to the car. That's not how we create the atmosphere of love and how we create the atmosphere of faith. It's the things that we say. It's the things that we do week in, week out, month after month, year after year, to the point where you start thinking, is this all we're ever going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah, it might be. But would that be such a bad thing if we spent the rest of our lives focused on faith in God and love for each other? No. Everything flows out of that, but that's how we create this atmosphere around us. Well, you right now, you're creating the atmosphere in your home. You're creating the atmosphere even just around you. You may not realize this, but everywhere you go, there's this little bubble that surrounds you and you're bringing that atmosphere into certain places. And when you, in obedience to this scripture, live your life rejoicing always. You know what you're doing? You're creating an atmosphere of joy and that bubble goes with you everywhere. And when you step into the office where there has been everything but an atmosphere of joy, where there's been complaining, where there's been depression, where things are not looking good and nobody knows what's going to happen, you bring that joy into that place, it refreshes people. You become a breath of fresh air to people when they step into that environment and they start to figure things out. It's like the closer I get to this guy, the happier I get. The further I get, the more sad. And it's like a little experiment. You know what I mean? People get close, happy, sad, far away, depressed, you see? Because they're stepping in to this atmosphere you create because you're rejoicing all the time. You've always got something to be happy about, always got something to be in joy about. When you make the commitment to pray without ceasing, then your home, your home becomes a culture of prayer 
and one in which your children, your grandchildren, and really anybody who steps across the threshold of your place knows these people talk to God. These people talk to God. These people go to God with everything. And he talks back. See, I came across that realization as a teenager. I grew up as a pastor's kid in a, in a ministry home. And I'm sure some of you have heard a lot of testimonies about the way a lot of preacher's kids go. A lot of times they find themselves, find a way back to God, but there's those years where they're kind of running from it. My personal testimony is I didn't really have those years. Not to say that there wasn't trouble. I definitely went through some, but I didn't, I didn't have those stereotypical preacher's kid years where I'm running from God and, and doing my own thing. And you think, well, what, what kept you, brother? Uh, what, what kept you in good fellowship with God? Here's the big revelation. You ready? My mom talks to God and he talks back. That kept me from doing some stupid stuff as a teenager. You think I'm kidding. That was a very real and a very conscious thought to me. Temptation comes. It's like, you know what? I'm going to do that. And my mom's coming in. She's going to know exactly what happened. She talks to God. He talks back. That's a culture of prayer in your home. You can raise your children to know, hey, listen, I'm talking to God on your behalf and he's talking to me. So, you know, don't be an idiot. <laughs> you create that atmosphere, that culture. We go to God with everything. And in Thanksgiving, this is such a big one. To me, when I look at this list, in my own estimation, it's the biggest one. When we give thanks in everything, we're creating an atmosphere around us, not only one that people would want to be in, check this out, one that God himself wants to be in. You know this, but you don't like being around unthankful people. Whether you realize it consciously or even subconsciously, there's something in you that does not like being around unthankful, ungrateful people. Guess what? God's not that into it either. Seriously, you go back and look at the first generation of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, who God rescued in dramatic fashion and brought them out with a strong arm, with a mighty hand. He brought them out and delivered them from bondage and then was taking them to the promised land. But you remember what happened all along the way throughout the wilderness were these people so thankful. Oh, thank you, Lord, for bringing us out. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. Oh, our God is great. No, they're complaining. They're whining the whole time. You know what they're saying? Let's go back to Egypt. It was better in Egypt. Better in, better in Egypt? You were slaves. Come on, wake up. No, no, let's go back. Complaining, not enough to drink, not enough to eat. Complaining, complaining, complaining to the point where God actually looked at Moses and said, you take them. He said that to him. He said, you and these people go. He even said, I'll give you an angel. And let me paraphrase here. But he said to him, I don't want to hang out with y'all anymore. You are a stiff necked people, grumbling, complaining, unthankful. And what did God say? I don't want to hang out. He said, if I go with you, I might kill every one of you. I don't want to hang out with you. 
God doesn't like hanging out in an, in an atmosphere created by a lack of gratitude. He doesn't want that any more than you want to be in that. And for the sake of time, I'll just mention this to you and you will, we'll move on. But the scripture tells us in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, that in the last days, these are the days we're living in. He said, in the last days, perilous times will come. You see this? Perilous times. That word perilous can mean dangerous. It can mean hard to bear. Does it sound like the time we're living in? The last days? That word perilous actually also means reducing in strength. Reducing in strength. He said these times will be so dangerous, so hard to bear, that it'll be like it zaps the strength out of you. That it sucks the strength right out of you. But what's interesting to me is why these days will be this way. In the last days, there will be perilous, dangerous, hard to bear, reducing in strength times because men will be. Because of the way people are. And he goes through this list. Look at this list. Lovers of themselves. Why are these days so perilous? Because everybody's just looking out for themselves. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Check this out. Unthankful. Unthankful. Now, if you want to see how serious it is to be unthankful, just look at the company that it keeps. Look at that. People who love themselves, who love money, who are proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, people who are unthankful, unholy. He puts unthankful in the company with unholy. Keep going. Unloving. Did you notice how many of these, how many of these attributes that are contributing to these perilous times, how many of them have to do with twisted love? Loving yourself, loving money, loving pleasure, unloving. The, the times we're living in are perilous, dangerous, hard to bear because of this twisting of love. He said, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Keep going. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Unthankful is right in the middle of people who just don't love God. Wow. And then what does he say? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people, turn away. He, he said, don't even be in the presence. And whether you make that conscious decision not to be around an unthankful person, whether you think that thought, I'm telling you, your spirit knows it. There is something in your spirit when you get around unthankful people that says, I don't want to hang out. You know why you feel that way? Because God feels that way. He does not want to hang out with unthankful people. Does that make you want to be thankful? Does that make you want to show some gratitude? It does me. I want God to want to hang out with me. I want him to enjoy the atmosphere that my faith and my love and my gratitude is creating. Being thankful opens the door to him to be in our presence. Amen. 
We looked at several other scriptures, um, and I'll just read these to you for the sake of time. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, this is the New Living Translation. He said, let your roots go down into him, talking about Jesus. Let your lives be built on him, and the result will be your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is the result of letting your roots, the roots of your life, go down deep into Jesus. You will overflow with thankfulness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Make note of that right there. Thanksgiving to overflow where? To the glory of God. This is the second time we're seeing this concept of thanksgiving overflowing. And then you see it again here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. The NIV says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So you see that from three different verses. Overflowing expressions of thanks. Overflowing. What part of your being do you overflow from? your mouth. Thanksgiving is supposed to be overflowing. Expressions of thanksgiving overflowing, and it's supposed to be coming out of our mouths. Overflowing expressions of thanks to God. Now, there's a couple of things I want to focus on today. When you give thanks, whether it's just a simple thank you in passing or a big celebration for something that's happened, wherever it is on that scale, when you give thanks, you are acknowledging something. Let me give you an example. Um, Sarah, that water bottle that I have there on the chair, would you bring that to me, please? Watch this, you ready? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, what just happened? She did something for me. She brought this to me, and I said, thank you. And in that simple two-word phrase, thank you, I acknowledged. I acknowledged not just that she did it for me, but you know what the flip side of that is? I didn't do it myself. When you say thank you, you are acknowledging you did that for me. You gave that to me. I didn't get it myself. I didn't do it for myself. You did it. And that's, we think of that as simple manners, right? I mean, that's something we teach our children from a very early age. Somebody does something, somebody gives them something. As parents, we, we say this to them for years. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And we're encouraging them, teaching them to acknowledge that somebody did something for them. Now you think, okay, well, that's simple, right? I mean, it's a bottle of water. It was a few steps away. I could have done that. I have the strength. I have the ability. I have the presence of mind. I could have done that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It does not matter that I could have. The point is, I didn't. She did. I didn't do it. I didn't get it. 
She did it. She gave it to me. Whether I could have or not is beside the point. When I say thank you, I'm acknowledging the help that I received. Now, there's another layer of this when you start talking about expressions of thanks to God. When we say, thank you, Lord, and we express that and it overflows out of this, not only are we acknowledging that he did it, we're acknowledging that we could not have. Are you following me here? We're not just acknowledging that he gave us something, that he did something for us. We are acknowledging, I could not have done that on my own. I could not give that to myself. When you start talking about salvation, when you start talking about your healing, when you start talking about your peace and your protection and anything that came as a gift from God to you through Jesus, none of that is anything you could have done on your own. Who among us could have saved themselves? Anybody? I'm looking for hands. Ushers, help me. We have no hands. You know why? Because you couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't heal myself. I couldn't deliver myself. I couldn't prosper myself. I, I, as, try as hard as I can. I cannot perfectly protect me. I cannot perfectly protect my children when they go out in the world. I need a God. And when I say, thank you, Lord, for watching my children, I'm acknowledging I can't do it the way you can. I can't do it the way you have done it. When I say, thank you, Lord, for being the healer of my family. Thank you for purchasing my salvation, purchasing my healing. I'm acknowledging I need that help. And he's given it. I thank him for it. But the big thing I'm saying is I couldn't do it. So I'm thanking him. You can see now why Thanksgiving should be coming out a lot. Because anything God does for you, this has got to become more and more real to us. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that has got to become more real to us, more and more real on a daily basis. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. He did it. Somebody say, he did it. And if he did it, then what is our part? What is our response? What do you say? What do you say, boys and girls? Thank you. We say thank you. Praise you, Lord. When we express our thanks to God, we, not only, we are not only acknowledging that we didn't do it ourselves, but we are acknowledging we couldn't do it ourselves. When you give thanks in everything, you are constantly, listen now, you are constantly giving him the glory instead of taking the glory for yourself. Now, this is a big deal with him. You are constantly giving him the glory instead of taking the glory. What did 2 Corinthians 4 say? It said, this grace that is reaching more and more, more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. When we express thanks, I'm just going to read this to you the way the Lord gave it to me. When we express thanks, we are acknowledging our need for help. And when we express thanks, we are giving glory to God. When I say, thank you, Lord, I'm giving him the glory for whatever was done, whatever was given, 
He's getting the glory. So what does the flip side of that mean? When we don't express thanks, then we are denying that we ever even needed the help to begin with. When you don't express your thanksgiving, it's like denying that you even needed that help, that you appreciate that help. Now, what if Sarah had brought this to me and I didn't say thank you simply because, well, you know, I could have done, I don't thank people for things I could do myself. You know what I mean? Why should I have to thank somebody? Why should I have to thank them when it's his job? It's not the point. The point is you didn't do it. Now I'm talking about how we relate to each other. I'm talking about creating an atmosphere that people actually want to be in. If you're struggling with this right now, it just doesn't seem like anybody really wants to be around me. Check on this. Check on the rejoicing levels. Check on the kind of atmosphere and culture you're creating around you because people don't like being around unthankfulness. Well, I don't think I should have to thank anybody, you know, if it's their job. If they're just doing what they're supposed to do, why do I, why do I have to go thank them? I don't know why I get more Southern when I <laughs> pretend to be that person. I, I don't mean anything against Southern people. But you've heard that attitude before, haven't you? Maybe even being guilty of thinking that, well, why should I have to thank them if that's their job, if that's what they're supposed to do? The point is, even if they're just doing their job, you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Am I driving this home enough? <laughs> you didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, then what's left for you to do is say thank you. Give thanks for it. If we're not thankful, particularly unto God, then we're denying that we ever needed any help to begin with. And when we're not expressing thanks, and here's the big one. When we're not expressing thanks, we're not giving glory. We're taking glory. When you don't express thanks, you take glory for yourself. Look at this with me in the scriptures in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 10. And again, we'll have this on the screen for you. I'm about to hit something kind of hard. So I want you to kind of gear up for it, okay? Can you handle, handle some strong meat from the word today. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 10 says, this is, this is, I believe Moses speaking to the children of Israel and about to take them into the land that God had promised them. And he said, so it shall be when the Lord, your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now listen, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Listen to that phrase. To give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of all good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, 
then beware. Beware. This is warning. Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Did you hear that phrase repeated over and over in there? He said, I'm bringing you into a city, not just any city, a large city, beautiful cities, which you didn't build. Somebody say, I didn't do it. He said this over and over. You didn't build it. He said, I'm going to bring you into houses, houses filled with all good things, which you didn't fill. And he said, there's going to be wells there, hewn out wells, wells that are already producing, wells that you can already, already receive from, wells that you can already draw up out of. But the big thing is you didn't dig them. So we got cities you didn't build, houses you didn't fill, wells you didn't dig. He's talking to them about reaping harvests on uh, seeds they didn't plant. He said, all these things have been, they're ready for you, but the big thing is you didn't do it. And he said, beware. Beware lest you forget. Forget what? Forget that you didn't do it. Forget that it wasn't you who built this city. Forget that it was not you who filled this house. It was not you who dug out this well. It was not you who planted that vineyard. For, don't forget that it was the Lord who did it. This is something we have to be watchful over right now. Look just a couple of chapters later in uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. Talking again along these same lines, he said, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then what are you going to do? You will bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Are you awake this morning? Are you hearing this? Let me hit on something. I do not like the term prosperity gospel. I don't like it. This is my opinion, my perspective, but I don't like it. Because it is a made-up term, made up by critics. Critics of a message in which many cases they have not heard. I don't like the term prosperity gospel. I refuse to see myself through the eyes of my critics. You know what term I do like? The gospel. And I believe the gospel needs no other word before it, no other word after it, no other quantifying word, no other qualifying word. It is just the gospel. Now, anybody who is willing to take an honest look at the gospel will have to acknowledge is there prosperity in it? You better believe it. Yes. 
if there was no prosperity in the gospel, then it wouldn't be good news to the poor. But it is. The problem is people hear the term prosperity. Now, you take that same word, that same term, and you say it anywhere outside the four walls of a church, and people will get right on board with you. They will jump on board with that. You get a politician who stands up and preaches prosperity for their city, for their state, uh, a presidential candidate who promises prosperity for the nation, and everybody would be like, yes and amen. You bring that word into the church, and people get all holy. They get all arrogant, and they start fighting it. But what they think they're fighting, they think they're fighting a message. Now, I hope you listen to me here. They think they're fighting a message that's all about money and all about stuff and all about having more. But I believe, never said this before, I believe I am uniquely qualified to comment on this. I was born into a house that preaches that so-called message. Every day of my life I spent around that message. I'm not a critic of a message I've never heard. I've been in this message. I've heard, I think, everything there is to be said about it. I'm sure there's more, but I have heard a lot. And for somebody to say that the prosperity message is about more money, more stuff, I am uniquely qualified to tell them you're wrong. So what's it about? Two big things. You ready? The message of prosperity that I see in the gospel is very simple. It's about who do you trust? Number one, it's about who do you trust? Who do you trust to meet every need of your life? Spirit, soul, body, materially, financially, relationally. Who do you trust? And number two, this is the other big thing, that the true message of God's plan to prosper you, this is what it's about. You ready? It's not only about who you trust, it's about who gets the glory. Who gets the glory? This message of prosperity that I unashamedly preach is not about you having more, me having more. This is not about fatter and fatter bank accounts or wallets or pocketbooks. This isn't just about bigger houses or more cars. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about who you trusted. Who did you trust to meet the need? And it's about who gets the glory. That's the message. Who gets the glory? And it makes me want to ask people who are so vehemently opposed, so they think, to a message, that prosperity gospel, that prosperity message. It makes me just want to ask in return, okay, number one, why are you so angry? Just <laughs> calm down. Let me just ask you, when something good comes, let's say a raise at work, could we all agree that's a good thing? Could we agree that would be a good thing? increase like that coming your way. If God is not a prospering God, then who gets the glory for that? 
I mean, you've already told me this prosperity thing is a bunch of, it's, it's lies, it's fables, it's an American gospel that somebody's made up. Okay, fine. Then when something good comes, when increase of any kind comes, materially, financially, in, physically, in your body, relationally, fine. If all this prosperity stuff is just a bunch of lies and a bunch of ways that preachers have come up with to get rich, okay, fine. Then who gets the glory? Because if it ain't God, that leaves one other person you. Are you tracking with me? Can you see how serious this is? What did these scriptures just tell us? Does this not paint a picture of prosperity? Listen to this. It goes on Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 11. He says the same thing. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full, you've built beautiful houses and you dwell in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, that's prosperity. When your silver and your gold are multiplied, that's prosperity. And all that you have is multiplied, that's prosperity. Verse 14, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that you might test you and do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth? Can you see how dangerous this is? He's already told them just a couple of chapters before, hey, I'm bringing you into city, but the big thing you need to know is you didn't build it. I got houses for you and I'm gonna fill them up, but you didn't fill them. I've got wells dug that are producing right now, but you didn't dig it. I got vineyards that are already producing everything you need. They're already working before you ever even get there. That's prosperity. But the big thing is that you know you didn't plant the vineyard. You didn't build the city. You didn't dig the well. You didn't fill the house. So when you're sitting there and you're eating and you're full and you're fat and happy and prospering, he said, don't you dare forget. Don't you dare forget. And don't you ever say it was by my power and by my own hand that I got this wealth. See, that's the question I want to ask. That's the question I want to ask somebody who fights so hard. Things that we see so plainly in the word. I mean, does it get any clearer than this? They, they're fighting it so hard. I mean, I know personally, I personally know people, Christian people who love God. They, they're in church, got their families in church. I know, I personally know people who are living in multi-million dollar homes and driving very nice cars and wearing very nice things and living in great, great cities and who are also very, very, very opposed to a message that you and I would preach and believe. And I just want to ask them, okay, first of all, we can still have fellowship. We don't see the same thing on that. That's fine. I understand. But just answer this, who gets the glory for that house? Who gets the glory, glory for what you're wearing, what you're driving? Who gets the glory for these things? Because if it's not God, who is it? Leaves one person, me, by my hand, by my own power, 
And he said to them in verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he, not you, not you. Say it again and say it bold. Not me. It's him. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Who did it? Who did it? This is, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to make this as plain so that you will always be armed with this information. Because I can't think of any particular message in the body of Christ right now that's being fought harder than this one. This message of so-called prosperity. Number one, it's not the prosperity gospel. That's not a scripture. So when somebody says, oh, you go to that prosperity gospel church, you say, I'm not sure, I'm not familiar with what that is. <laughs> and he's like, you know, the prosperity gospel. And you say, I don't, I don't know what that is. And you can be honest because it doesn't exist. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people that have taken some of these things, twisted some of these things. I'm not saying that there aren't, there, there aren't some disingenuous people, maybe even standing in pulpits, but you can find liars anywhere, okay? It doesn't do away with the real. It doesn't do away with the genuine and the authentic. So when somebody says, oh, you go to that prosperity gospel church, you say, I, you know, I'm, what is that? I'm, I'm unfamiliar. What is the prosperity gospel? And every time, you know what they'll say? They bring up money. Every time. Money. Which really begs the question, who really has money on the mind? Who's the one really talking and thinking so much about money? And they're going to say every time, you know, that, that gospel that, that, you, that, that God will just make you rich and, and do all this stuff and, and you can have this and you can have that. And you're, now you can be armed with this information. Well, you really, you know, honestly what it's about, it comes down to who you trust. It just comes down to who you trust. Do you trust him or do you trust yourself? And really it comes down to who gets the glory. Any good thing ever happened in your life? Well, yeah, sure. Okay, well, who got the glory for it? Who got the glory for the raise? Who got the glory for the promotion? Who got the glory for the, for, for the marriage? Who got the glory for the restoration of the marriage? Who gets the glory when your kid gets into a good school? Who gets the glory? You understand what I'm saying? Who gets the glory when, when you're able to do something you weren't able to do before? Who gets the glory for these things? And if you believe this message, then you are going to be quick to say, wasn't me. Wasn't me. It was him. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. I want you to say it. He gets the glory. That is this message of prosperity. He gets the glory for it. Let me just read a few verses to you. And you begin to get a sense of how seriously God takes these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just listen. Verse 27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Is anybody else thankful that God is good with choosing the foolish things? <laughs> that God's good with choosing the weak things? I hate to break it to you. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Why though? Why choose the weak? 
Why choose the foolish? Why choose the things that are not? Here's the answer. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That's why. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, don't let him be taking any glory for it. No, weak things don't take the glory. Foolish things don't take the glory. Things that are not don't take the glory. That's why you got to know who you are in him, who I am in him. When I'm in Jesus, he's been made unto me wisdom. Not about my wisdom. Where did you get that wisdom? He did it. He did it. Wasn't me. But how quick people are to take the glory. How did you know what to do? Well, you know, I did get a four-year degree from, and I did do a lot of study, and I've done quite a bit of research, and all of this, taking glory, taking glory, taking glory. When the first thing out of our mouths should be, he did it. He did it. And we're, when we're living in what he's promised, when we're living in these cities that he's promised, when we're living in the houses and the houses are being filled up, and it's not to say that there's a certain size of house that's, that, that's prosperity and anything smaller is not. That's ridiculous. Come on. I don't care how big a house is. If there's no peace in it, you're broke. That's prosperity. But when we're coming up and the Lord's increasing us, just all these things he talked about, bringing his children into these things, into these houses. And when these wells are producing and these vineyards are producing, and he said, you're sitting at the table and you're eating and you get full, what should we be sitting there saying? Mm, mm, mm. Mm, 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 mm. God is so good. You walk into that house, what should you be saying every day? God, you're so good. You are, oh, you are so good. I know when Sarah and I moved our family up here, we left Texas and we were believing God bigger, bolder than we ever had before. And the first house we looked at seemed like it was too much, seemed like it was beyond what we wanted to do, what we wanted to spend, but we walked into it and the presence of God was so on it, we knew it was our place. First place we saw so we made the agreement. The Lord was good to us and, and uh, got a good deal on it. And uh, we've been living there for several years now. And every time somebody comes to the house, I'm talking to anybody from plumbers to pest control to anybody who's just visiting. We got this beautiful view. We can see the mountain. And every time they come up, they say, man, you got a great place here. This is beautiful. Look at this view. Every time, and I mean every time, we say, the Lord has been good to us. Amen. It's the blessing of the Lord. Really with no regard of how they're going to hear it, how they're going to process it. And we've had some looks. What does that mean? I'm not even saying it so much for their benefit. I'm reminding me. I'm reminding me that every time we pull into that place, God, you've been so good. Every time we sit down at the table and there's food there. Who did that? He did that. Well, you know, I work hard to put 
food on this table. I work hard to put clothes on their back. Don't be taking that glory. Don't be taking that credit. In everything, for everything, give thanks. Give the glory. Give the glory. Don't take it. Give it. Because no flesh will glory in his presence. Thank you, Lord. Let me read just a few more verses to you. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I'm the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned, and I will not give my glory to another? When Sarah and I came up here to Colorado, we were still living in Texas and we, we knew the Lord was calling us this way, had been for years. And several months before we pulled the trigger and came here, we just came for a visit, flew into Denver and drove south and all down I-25, we're checking our hearts. Lord, is this where you've called us? Is this the city we're supposed to be in? And we're checking Castle Rock and we're checking Lone Tree and we're checking all the way down, get to Colorado Springs and we're checking that out and even made a drive up here. Um, this is, well, I won't tell you that part, but it made drive up here, just checking our hearts. And, um, you know, I can't say that on that trip, we found the church or the location or even our house or anything, but we just kind of held up in a hotel room for about two, three days and we prayed and we sought the Lord and we got solid on a few things. Number one, we got solid on the name of the church. But she and I were both trained, you don't just do something without a scripture, without basing it on the word of God as your foundation. And he took us to Ephesians chapter three, verse 21. I want you to put that on the screen for us. This is the verse he gave us to build this church on. And you could take time and read everything around it, but for time's sake, let me just simplify it. It says this, to him be glory in the church. To who? To him. And he made very clear to us way back then on that first trip that everything in this church was to give him glory. And it's also a word of warning. Don't ever take the credit. Don't ever take the glory for any good thing that goes on. Not one thing. You want to know how to shut down the move of God in your life quicker than anything else? Start taking the credit for it. Start taking the glory for it. I'm going to tell you a quick story and begin to wrap it up. I'm going to share something with you this morning that I think typically I wouldn't share. But I think it's appropriate and I, I sense the Lord leading me this way. Last week in church, we were talking along these lines. Thanks a lot, right? We were talking about rejoicing with those who rejoice. And we got through to the end of the service and came off the platform. A few minutes later, I went back here to our speaker's room. And I sat down on the couch that we have back there, and my heart was so grieved. I thought back through the service, and I do this every week. I check my heart, Lord, what, did we get it right? Did we flow with you? Did we follow you? Did we say the right thing? But I was so bothered. Now, Sarah even mentioned it earlier today. We had a good service. And I actually really loved 
what the Lord said. The revelation that came out was new to me and fresh to me. And there was so much of it I really liked. But my heart, what is going on? My heart was so bothered. I left here heavy, got home heavy. I don't know how to describe it. It's like a scratching on the inside. You ever had that before? Brother Kenneth Hagin used to say, it's like washing your feet with your socks on. Something's just not right. <laughs> it was on the inside. Lord, what is it? I thought back through, well, you know, I, I could have said that better. She probably should have left that out. Should have said that. And I'm thinking through several different things. I even called the guys that on our staff that edit the messages and get them posted. I, I said, well, guys, let's take that part out, which they're used to. I've done that before. And so they got that ready. And then I called them back and said, I don't know. Something's bothering me. Take it off. Take it off the internet. Take it off the podcast. I don't know what's going on. I said, maybe I'll just make some edits to it and get it back to you. Monday, they contacted me from the office. Do you know what you want to change so we can post it? I said, I have no idea. I just can't do it. Something was bothering me. Yesterday, in seeking the Lord about today, he's leading me along these lines. The Holy Spirit brought something to my heart that I was not expecting. And it was like a video replay of last week. And he reminded me, those of you who are here, you'll remember this. We talked about how the scripture tells us to get filthy language out of our mouths. Remember we talked about that, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, but instead, instead of filthy language, instead of coarse jesting, instead, give thanks, right? And we were talking about that. And I said, as much as the world talks blankety, blankety, blank, you and I should be thankety, thankety, thank. Anybody remember that? Yes. And you know what I said right after I gave you that little gym? I said, do you like that? I came up with that last night. I never would have remembered that. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit brought that to me yesterday. I even met with different members of our staff this week, and they were asking, well, why is the service not online? I said, something's just bothering me. Something's bothering me about it. Maybe we didn't flow right. Maybe I didn't follow the Holy Spirit the way we should have. Something's bothering me. I came up with that last night. And as soon as that came back to my remembrance, I just spent the next, I don't know how long, letting the Lord know I see that and I repent. And I know you're hearing that and you might be hearing it the same way I did at first. Really? That? Yeah. That. How could it be that serious? You go back to when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they're complaining, unthankful. And they're, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I want you to strike this rock and water will come out. And Moses stood up and said, here now, you rebels. Must we get water out of this rock for you? And he struck it and water went flowing and they're all happy and they're, you know, getting their needs met. But God got all over Moses and said, you did not sanctify me in front of the people. Must we get water? 
brother, you ain't got much to do with it at all. <laughs> Who did that? Who got water out of, those, out of that rock for those people? Must we? And you think, okay, well, is it really that serious? It was so serious that God said to Moses, because of this, you're not going in. You're not going to the promised land. And then sometime later, just before Moses died, God brought him up to a high place where he could see over into the land. And Moses said, please, can I go? And God said, no, you didn't sanctify me in front of the people. And he referred back to that rock thing. Really? That big a deal? Yeah. Who gets the glory? And see, I, we had made a commitment to the Lord years ago that everything that happens in this church, any good thing that takes place, you, oh Lord, will get the glory for it. Which means I, nor anybody else who ever stands here, the words, I came up with that, if it was anything good, those words should never come out of our mouths. If it was something good, it should be, the Lord gave me that. Even if it's something as simple as thank any, thank any, thank. And if the Lord didn't give it to me, I shouldn't be saying it. Who gets the glory? Come on up, guys. Thank you, Lord. Who gets the glory? I've got a, a lot more scriptures here, but you know, this is something you see so clearly in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He did not take credit for one message, for one miracle, for any good thing that came through him. You know what he said over and over? It's not me. It's not me who does the works. My father did it. He said, my message is not my own. It's my father's. And he said, anybody who speaks of himself, anybody who speaks from himself, he said, is seeking his own glory. I'm not seeking my glory. That's what he said. I'm not seeking my glory. I'm seeking the glory of the one who sent me. So this question I'm asking you today and that you hear us asking here on a real regular basis, who gets the glory? Sarah stands here. We tell these testimonies. We read these glory stories, right? My debts were paid. huh? So I was healed. I dropped a knife in my foot and I still have a foot. <laughs> Wonderful. I got a vacation to Mexico. Praise God. Who gets the glory? You hear us ask that all the time. Who gets the glory? But that question is the question you should be asking yourself every day. When anything good, anything good comes your way, small, large, anything in between, the question you should be asking is, who gets the glory for this? Where does the praise go for this? To him be the glory. Stand up with me. I'll tell you this last story. In the book of Acts chapter three, Peter and John are coming into the temple and there's a man that's been laid there. He's lame and he has been since his mother's womb and he's begging for alms. And you know the story. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He reaches down. He yanks that joker by the hand, pulls him up. And what happens next? That guy receives strength, and the Bible says he goes walking, leaping, and praising God. 
That's not just walking because he couldn't before. That's not just leaping because he couldn't. That is an overflowing expression of thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I couldn't walk, now I can, you did it. I couldn't leap, now I can, you did that. Praising God. But what happened was, is it drew a crowd. And all these people who had seen this guy laid there lame every day, year after year after year, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. People are going, what in the world? And it draws this crowd to Peter and to John. And you know what Peter says to him? Smart man. One of the smartest things Peter ever said in the scriptures. He said, why do you look at us? He said, why do you look at us? Other translations say, why are you staring at us? It's the first recorded, you looking at me? I don't like the way you're looking at me. This is literally what he's saying. Why are you looking at me? Why are you staring at us? As though we, by our own power, made this man whole. Oh, this is the smartest thing this man has ever said. Because if he ever wants this to happen again, the glory is going to have to go to God. He cannot take one inch of it. He cannot take one second of it. Why are you looking at me as though I did something? He said, no, it's Jesus. He said it was his name and it was through faith in his name that this man was made whole. We need to take that same attitude. Take that same approach. Why, why are you looking at me? No, it's not me. Nice house you have here. Well, you know, I got a great job and I worked real hard and I got, no, 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 no. He did it. Sure like that car you're driving. Well, you know, I got a good deal and I really talked him down. No, no. Come on, help me. He did it. And it can be as simple as you going, well, glory to God. Glory to God. Not to me, to God. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing my heart this morning? What is the prosperity message? It's who do you trust and who gets the glory? And in this church, to him be glory. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember... You are always welcome here in the house of faith.